Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range four-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked center-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating, Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now CERTA. Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. Cameron Rogers admitted that he thought his adoptive parents were too controlling and he was unhappy with his lack of freedom. But people didn't realize what he would eventually do to finally be free of them. This is Monsters. Cameron Rogers was born in 1994 and was adopted by Dave and Merrill Rogers soon after. Dave Rogers was born in Ottawa, Ontario in 1947 to Stuart and Irene Rogers. He was an only child whose mother passed away at the age of 103. After graduating from Brookfield High School, he went on to get degrees in political science and journalism from Carleton University. He was hired by the Ottawa Citizen as a general assignment reporter in 1973 and worked there until he retired in 2010. As a general assignment reporter, he wrote about everything, death inquests, election results, murder trials, drug raids, and development in Old Chelsea. Christina Spencer, an editor for The Citizen, shared a desk with Dave in the 80s and said, quote, Dave was the kind of guy you could send to any story or event, and he'd never complain about his assignment. He'd just do it, end quote. Other people who worked with Dave said he was an easygoing and good-natured person who never failed to bring back a story. No matter what gritty things he saw throughout his 37-year career, he never lost his positive outlook. Merrill Gleddy was born in 1953 in Clairsholm, Alberta, to Claire and Violet Getty. She was the oldest of four children, and she also graduated from Brookfield High School, though not at the same time as Dave. 
The Glettys were a military family, with Claire being a fighter pilot, and after graduating from the University of Ottawa with a degree in linguistics, Merrill enlisted in the Canadian Armed Forces. In 1973, as a second lieutenant, she was accidentally put into an all-male combat training course at CFB Wainwright in Alberta. Merrill was mistaken for a male officer since her name is more commonly a man's name. She told people that one of the commanding officers of the course said, quote, whoever heard of anyone calling their daughter Merrill, end quote. Her response, quote, I told him that he could call my mother if he wanted to, end quote. Even though it was technically illegal to have her complete the course, they let her anyway. She wrote in an International Women's Day newsletter in 2009, quote, And there I was for an entire summer, learning to throw hand grenades, shoot with my FN1 and FN2 rifles, my submachine gun, and pistol, and learning how to become a platoon commander, end quote. Her and four other women became the first women to complete full combat training in the Canadian Armed Forces. Merrill eventually began working for the Department of National Defense, designing training courses for leaders and supervisors. Dave and Merrill met at the Ottawa Cycling Club in the early 80s and married in 1982. They took frequent trips to France since Merrill had attended school at the Royal Canadian Air Force Base there, and Dave had learned French as an adult to become one of the few bilingual reporters for the paper. They moved into their house in 1989, and in 1994, they adopted Cameron. People who knew the couple said that they were unconditionally devoted to Cameron. According to Cameron, he was close with his father, but his parents were too controlling. I understand you were adopted, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And how, how was that? How did that go with your parents? It went well. It went well, yeah, good, good, okay. Now, who's the closest person to you, would you say? Mm, my dad. Your dad, yeah. Okay. All right. And do you have any friends or anything? I have friends at uh, at school. Okay. Um, that I know from school, and that I know from past jobs. Okay. All right. So, what's been going on in your life then? How have things been going for you? In what way? In what way? Like, were you happy with the way things were going, or? Uh, I I don't know if I was happy with how. I was going with school because I was doing a pro a program that I didn't like. Right. Yeah. I and, understand. And and also, um, I wasn't really being able to get a job because my parents would insist that uh, I would have to work for them. For them. Yeah. And what what do you mean by that? Like around the house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how'd that make you feel? Not good. Not good. Yeah. So they they didn't want you to go get a job outside the house. So they just wanted you working at the house. Yeah, and okay. I wouldn't actually get money because they would just say that they'd owe me money. So I actually didn't have any money. Oh, that must have been hard. Yeah. So how did you manage then, like, if you wanted to go out or if you wanted to do something? Uh, well, uh, if I would want to use money, they would have to approve of it. Okay. All right. What kind of work were you doing around the house? Gardening and... Stuff involving around the garden okay. or chores. A co-worker of Dave's, Scott Parker, who had a son with a disability, said Dave talked to him about Cameron's difficulties at school and his compulsive behavior. 
He said that Dave never mentioned a specific diagnosis of Cameron, but it seems that he had been diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and Cameron claims that he has mild autism, but I wasn't able to find any confirmation of an official diagnosis. He told the investigator that he had been initially placed in a special needs class but didn't like it and transferred into the regular class where he did pretty well. He said he had a B average in high school. And what was the special needs? Why were you in the special needs Because class? I have a uh, slight autism. Okay. All right. And how does that affect you? Well, when I'm not on the meds, I have bad coordination. But when I am on the meds, I don't have bad coordination. Okay. All right. And how do you react when you're not on the meds? I know you've got the bad coordination. Anything else? No? Okay. And how does your um, mind feel when you're not on the meds? Fine. And when you're on the meds? Fine. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, anything else? Diagnosed with anything else? Uh, well, I have sleep apnea. Oh, okay. But that's not really that bad. Right. And... Um, how bad is it? You said it's not bad, but how bad is it? Like I just maybe snore a oh, little bit. Snore? Maybe. Okay. I don't know, since I don't really... Okay. All right. Do you sleep, are you a good sleeper? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Cameron was a big kid. He became the goalie for his soccer team, and he did really well in the position, but lost interest quickly. Dave knew that Cameron had a lot of energy and was always willing to try something new. The couple focused on making sure that Cameron was healthy and had everything he needed to be successful. Since Cameron didn't have a strong drive in any one direction and had a tendency to lose interest in things easily, his parents tended to make decisions for him. When he graduated from Brookfield High School, the third person in the family to do so, he didn't know what he wanted to do. When he didn't come up with his own plan, Dave and Merrill convinced him to go to Algonquin College in Ottawa for engineering. I'm 22. You're 22. Oh, okay. And what have, are you in school? Or I, I, I was in school. Okay. What were you studying? Uh, electromechanical engineering technology. No. Uh, electromechanical engineering robotics technician. Wow. And how long have you been studying that? Um, I was in that for the first year this year, but I came out of another one. Um, like for the past two years, I was in uh, uh, um, I was in mechanical engineering technol technology, but then I changed okay. for this year into the first one I mentioned. Good, good. And what what were your plans? What did you want to do with that degree? I didn't want that degree. Oh, you didn't. No. So why were you taking it? Because my parents told told me to take it. Um, okay. And um, why were they so keen on you taking that? Mm -hmm. I, um. Half of the problem was probably uh, because I didn't say anything else. Like, I didn't, like, I mean, I, I didn't say another plan for okay. the, the, you know, like. The detective asked him what else was going on in his life that caused him stress. Other than um, your parents putting pressure on you with school and not wanting you to work, and wanting you to work around the house, what else were they were they doing that was adding to this stress? I don't know. I mean, other than no money and having to do 
go into a, a program for three years that I didn't want to go into. Um, I, I, I don't know, like, what else there would be. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't think of anything. What else was missing, do you find, in your your life that you could attribute to? Well, I, I might have felt, or I might have thought at the time that I was lonely, but then mm-hmm. after I killed them, I didn't really feel lonely. Well, I felt more lonely because, anyway, that's yeah. irrelevant, but I mean, mm-hmm. realized that it was the wrong choice, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, what did you feel you would accomplish by, by killing them? Nothing. Nothing, eh? Okay. And what, what caused you to, to just do this? I don't know. It was, it was like, like it was, I guess, the spur of the moment. Like it was, it just, like, it was just, I, I don't know what made me do it. It was just, like, I, I, I don't even know why I did it, even that, that I think back to it now, I don't even know why I chose to do it. The investigator is trying to get to the bottom of exactly why Cameron murdered his parents. He seems to have no real reason. He described being unhappy with their control over him, but he doesn't seem upset enough to kill them over it. She's trying to find out if something else happened that set him off, and he can't really think of anything. He just up and killed them for the hell of it, apparently. On November 20th, 2016, the Rogers family was getting ready to attend a birthday party for another family member. Cameron and Merrill were both in the kitchen where Merrill was preparing some herbs and Cameron was cutting up some melon. He had contemplated killing his parents for almost an hour before deciding to finally do it. I guess this is one thing I'm just trying to understand. So you're cutting melons... And what was your mom doing? She was, like, uh, doing something, some kind of herb thing. I don't know what it was. It was just she was grinding herbs or something. Okay. And how was that morning? This was around 11 o'clock. So what was going on that morning in the house? I don't know. I mean, like, what was... Did you have an argument with your parents, or...? Well, I mean, the whole upstanding, or not upstanding, the whole, the whole, like, disagreement about school and work and all that was just hanging over me, and I mean, I guess, like, I mean, we've had arguments before. Okay. And heated, yelling ones, and I guess just at that time, when the cloud broke, I was... Chopping a melon. Okay. And what were you arguing about that day? Like while you were chopping the melon? I, I don't know if I was arguing. At that time, I was not arguing. Okay. All right. No, no. Okay. But I, maybe like a day or two before, we had been arguing. Okay. And what, about this, those, those issues. Okay. And anything in particular? So you're talking about school, about the work, work issue. And what was your mom like when she argued with you about it? Well, I, I didn't have a say. Okay. And so you're you're chopping the melon, and is that the knife that was used? I think so. I know he says he has mild autism, but it's still strange how absolutely disconnected from what happened he is. She asks a question, and he's like, 
I don't know, like he's confused that she's asking about what led up to him stabbing his mother to death. Then he yawns like this is just another day at the office. He actually started his assault with a stick he had carved. Some reports say it was carved into a sword, but I'm not 100% on that. And where did you stab her on her? Um, in the back. In the back, okay. And how many times? I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay. And what, how did she react when she was stabbed the first time? Actually, wait, I didn't stab her first. I used the stick first. You used the stick? Okay. Yeah. And where did you get the stick? I made it. Oh, okay. When did you make it? Um, a while back. Okay. And when you say made it, how would you, how do you make it? I carved it. Oh, cool. Okay. And for what purpose? Just to do. Okay. I had a lot of time on my hands in the summer. Okay. And what did you, were you going to use that stick for? I don't know. There was no plan when, when, when I made it. Okay. Okay. And uh, where were you keeping that stick? In the garage. In the garage, okay. So how does it end up being in the kitchen that day? I don't know. I was planning. Like, I mean, during those 50 minutes of, 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 of going back and forth, one of those times I, I thought of using the stick. Okay, on? My mom. Okay, to do what? I don't know. Oh, you carved your own killing stick? How cool. So he went into the garage, got this stick he had carved in his spare time, and brought it back into the kitchen because he planned on killing his mother with it. After he had spent 50 minutes considering killing his parents, he turned and hit Meryl with the stick. Then he stabbed her multiple times with two different knives. Dave was somewhere else in the house and heard the commotion. How does your dad end up in the kitchen? Well, um... When I did my mom, he came running, and then I did him. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. And um, how long did it take? What do you mean? Like, before your mom, like, how long did you... Well, my dad didn't take very long, but my mom took a long time. And, and, and it was really hard because she was in pain and then I wanted it to stop. <laughs> and then I couldn't make it stop. And then it felt so bad because, because she was in pain. And, and I wanted her not to be in pain, but I couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. And it went for the whole night. And what? And she it took the whole night for her to die. How do you know that it took the whole night? Well, I don't know exactly, but I mean, I went to my room and, and, and she, was, she was still in pain. I couldn't hear it, but then in the morning, it was, it was done. Okay. And can I ask a question? Why is it then, after when you realized she was in pain, why didn't you call 911? Well, well, I knew it was too late. And what do you mean by it was too late? The wounds were too bad. He said that his father died quickly, which is probably true. Cameron hit him with the stick, which apparently broke. Then he stabbed him in the back with a large knife. The medical examiner said the knife punctured Dave's lung, which would have killed him fairly quickly. 
His mother, on the other hand, took a lot longer to die. He had stabbed her multiple times and gouged out one of her eyes. She then laid on the floor for hours, moaning. Cameron claimed that he wanted to make his mother's pain go away, but he didn't. He didn't do anything to make her pain go away. He just left her on the floor to moan in pain for hours. He claimed that he didn't call 911 because he knew it was too late. I'm sorry, but people who are beyond being saved don't lay on the floor and moan for hours. He had more than enough time to call 911 and save his mother's life, but he didn't because he didn't want to get caught. Since they were expected at a family gathering soon, one of Merrill's brothers, Graham Gladdy, called the house while his sister was lying on the kitchen floor dying. Graham mentions it in an interview at the courthouse. What he did was hor absolutely heartless. And, you know, I fear for the day he is released. I spoke to Cameron when he was in the middle of killing my sister. My sister had asked me to call between 2 and 4. He started the attack at 11 a.m. And um, according to Cameron's own testimony to Detective Kelm, Meryl was still alive. She was moaning. She was moaning on the floor of the kitchen. He gouged out her right eye. She had multiple stab wounds. And she was in great pain, moaning on the ground. I was chatting with Cameron on that phone in the kitchen, I believe, uh, is where he was. And he was very calmly telling me everything was fine. Cameron told his uncle that Dave and Merrill both had the flu and wouldn't be able to make it to the party. He also told investigators that some of his parents' friends from their church, the Metropolitan Bible Church, had stopped by, and he also told them that his parents were sick and that they were asleep. The investigator asked him how arguments would end in the past. In the past, when you've had arguments with your parents, how did that end, those arguments? Like, how would you deal with it? I would watch, like, shows and stuff. Okay. All right. I guess that's, that's the answer. Okay. And, um... Like, I wouldn't win. Okay. okay. The, the, the argument. Okay. All right. And how'd that make you feel? I don't know, like, not good. Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, did you ever have any, um, did you ever assault them in the past? Out of fear or, uh, not out of fear, but out of anger? No? Okay. Everybody has tried their hardest to understand exactly what made Cameron decide that this was the moment that he was going to kill his parents. And nobody has been able to get an answer. This investigator is asking if he ever got violent with his parents before when they argued. But even that wouldn't give her an answer. Cameron said that they weren't arguing when he killed them. He claims that they were just in the kitchen, not talking, and he just up and killed them. Cameron didn't flee after he killed Dave and Merrill. He stayed in the house for a week, at some point moving the bodies and hiding them behind a shed in the backyard. The investigator asked Cameron how he got the bodies out there, and as he starts to answer, apparently the Autobots start having an epic battle with the Decepticons just outside the room. How did they get to the outside? Uh, I, I put them there. Okay. And when did you put them there? Um, after they died. Okay. I, I, I didn't want, like, I was, I, I, I didn't want, like, their, my mom's brothers 
or any friends to come and see them like that. Okay. Well, that was that was good of you. Clearly, you were concerned for them, for the family members not seeing them, eh? Okay. And how did you get them out to the back? I had to, uh, uh, well, I, I, I dragged my mom in a tarp. Okay. And then I put my dad in a suitcase okay. and then pulled him out. Okay. How did you get him in a suitcase? Well, I sort of rolled him into it. Okay. All right. Did he? Did you have to do anything to get him into the suitcase? Or? Well, it wasn't like a perfect fit. Like I didn't like make him like fit. How did they get outside? I put them there. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. We didn't think they walked themselves out there as fucking zombies. We want to know how you specifically got their bodies out there. You dragged mom on a tarp and put dad in a suitcase. That's what we want to know. And just so you know, I wouldn't make fun of anyone with a learning disability that caused them to not know what they were doing was wrong. By Cameron's own admission, he had a B average in the regular classes in high school and had spent the last few years in a college engineering program, which sounds like he was doing just fine in. He understood what he was doing when he killed his parents and hid their bodies. He understands enough to later change his story to try to escape responsibility. The investigator asks him if he moved the bodies out back at night, and Cameron said no, he did it during the day. He said that the neighbor on one side of the house was never there. Maybe it was a second home. He didn't say. He said the neighbor on the other side was just not home very often. He was scared that they might see, but figured that they weren't home. And how long did you remain in the house after the... A week. A week? Okay. And where were they for that one week? Well... Um, for a day, they were wherever they got killed. Okay. And then, uh, after that, um, was spent taking them out to the backyard and then cleaning up a little bit. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, blood all over the place. For sure, yeah. Because you didn't want anybody, any family members mm. to see that. Yeah, that's, okay, no, that's, uh... Uh, that's understandable, and I and I can tell you that where they are now, I don't think you need to worry about the family members seeing them like that. Okay, okay. so we're going to make sure, and that's normal. We don't want them to see that. Okay. Okay. Um, now, <clears throat> when you said clean up, what room had to be cleaned up? The kitchen. The kitchen. Okay. Is that the only room yeah. that had to be cleaned up? Okay. Yeah. And where's the knife? Um. I put the knife, uh, the two, I think it was two, two, I think it was two knives uh, um, in a plastic bag with the stick that had broken. So I put those in the plastic bag and I put it in the black box, which is in the garage. Okay. All right. Yeah. He said that he hid the bodies so that their family members wouldn't see them like that. Then he cleaned up the kitchen with a steam cleaner that they owned that was made for cleaning tiles. The investigator asked him what he did all week, and he said that he just hung out in his room. He said that he would go downstairs and get food and then go back up to his room. He said he never left the house and didn't watch television. He did search the house for cash, which he found in both Dave and Merrill's wallets. What did you do then for that whole week then in the house? I just... Stayed in my room. Okay. Because, uh, um, I, like, the, when I was mostly going to run away mm -hmm. from Ottawa. Okay. Um, I was hoping to go 
to the U.S., but since that didn't work out, I got stuck in Montreal. Okay, gotcha. And then that's when I called. Okay. And how come you weren't able to get into the U.S.? Well, you need some kind of, like, um, like, like, uh, like, like, not like a ticket, but like... A passport? No, no, not, that that wasn't the problem. It's like, because, like, I... To, to go there, to stay there, you need some kind of visa. I see. You know, and you know, I didn't have that, so you know, I'd have to lie, and that, that just wouldn't work. His plan was to flee to the United States, but he said he couldn't get into the U.S. because he didn't have a visa. According to the Canadian Embassy, Canadian citizens don't need a visa to travel to the U.S. I've been to Canada many times, and I've never needed a visa. Up until recently, Americans didn't even need a passport, just your driver's license was enough. Now you need a passport, but not a visa. It sounds like Cameron is making it out, like he told the guards at the border that he was going to be staying in the U.S. indefinitely and that he was going to work, which would have required him to get a visa. He told the investigator that he would have had to lie and that wouldn't have worked. Murder? No problem. Lying, though, that's where he crosses the line. It looks like a Canadian citizen just visiting can stay in the U.S. for up to six months at a time, so all he would have had to do is tell the Border Patrol that he was just visiting, but he didn't want to lie? No, that's apparently not what happened. The Border Patrol guard would later claim that Cameron had first told them that he was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Then he told them that he was really going to a sex party in New York. The guards didn't believe his story and denied him entry into the U.S. How did you get to Montreal? took the train. Oh, you took the train. Okay. And then how did you get from your house to... Which train station did you go to? In Ottawa? Yeah, but there's two in Ottawa. There's one there's on... two? There's one on Fallowfield, and there's one on Tremblay Road. Tremblay. Tremblay Road. Okay. And how did you get there? I drove. You drove whose vehicle? My mom's. Your mom's? Which vehicle is eyes? It's the van. The van? Okay. And um, why did you just drive to Montreal? Well, I have to pay for gas. Okay. And I mean, I didn't know if I, like, I didn't know, I probably could have, but I mean, if I had to pay for more gas, I wouldn't really be able to pay for more gas. Right. Okay. So you then took the train to Montreal? Yeah. And when did you arrive in Montreal? Uh, at 8.30 on Monday. 8.30 in the morning or in the evening? In the morning. In the morning, okay. And how did you pay for your train ticket? With some money. Okay, where did you get that money? From their purse. From their purse, okay. Or, um, all right, go ahead. Or wallet. Or oh, wallet? Yeah. Okay. From your mom or from your dad's uh, wallet? I think it was from my... I think it was from both. From both? How much money were you able to get, uh, get from their wallet? 140. 140, okay. So you took the train to Montreal, and then what did you do once you arrived in Montreal? I bought a ticket to uh, the U.S. Okay. But it didn't work. Right. Because yeah. you couldn't... Yeah, there was no visa. Okay, right. So. Okay. And what was your plan in, in going to New York? Somehow survive. Pardon? Somehow survive. Like, I didn't really have, like, a plan. You didn't have a plan, no. Eh? It's just to get as far away from Ottawa as I could. He took a bus from the border into downtown Montreal and broke into a building that was under construction. 
He built a makeshift bed and tried to sleep, but it sounds like he wasn't able to. Then he hid his luggage somewhere in the building and walked down the street to find a phone to call 911. He called at 9.15 p.m. on November 28th, eight days after he killed his parents. Uh, hello? Hello. Um, I would like to confess to a murder. Okay. Well, so where are you? I actually, um, 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 I'm on a street, mm -hmm. um, um, in Montreal. Um, um, I don't know where that street is. Well, you need, you need to know if you want me to send somebody. Yeah, that's true. That's true, way. Um, well, uh, uh, I'm near a parking garage. Okay, you need to be more specific. I need an address or intersection. I'm going to find a street name. Oh, and, uh, oh, and, uh, an address. Oh, that might work. Mm -hmm. Um, um, how is my phone? Oh, um, 1731 Mikado. Does that work? What's the name of the street? Mikado? How do you spell it? Um, M I K. A D O. It doesn't exist, sir. Oh well, I just read a sign on the on the house. Um, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go up to the the the, the corner of the street to see the street name. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, who who did you kill? Uh, my mom and dad. Okay. What do they uh, What do they live? They live in Ottawa. They live in Ottawa. Yes, sir. Okay. This sounds like the most calm conversation about confessing to a murder I've ever heard. Hey, what's your name? My name is Cameron. Cameron. Cameron Rogers. How old are you? I'm 20, 22. 22. Mm. Uh, oh, here, here's the street. I'm Ontario mm -hmm. and Savoie. Okay, are you going to stay on the corner? Yes, sir. Okay. I will stay on oh, the what, corner. what are you wearing? Uh, the, the clothing? Oh, I'm wearing an orange... Um, puffy coat and orange mitts with jeans. Okay, so I uh, orange coat, and you're 22. Okay. Yes, uh, and I have a hoodie on. A hood. A hood. Okay, okay. What color do you do? Huh? What color do you do? What? Your your shirt is what color? Oh, oh well, the shirt is orange and the hoodie is blue. Okay, so your jacket is orange and the hoodie is blue. Yeah. Okay, I'll uh, okay. I'll send somebody to go and talk to you and just uh, see what's going on. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye. To be fair to the operator, it's not common for someone to call nine one one and confess to a murder, so authorities have to investigate to make sure the crime even happened. I think the first person someone confesses to might assume they're mentally ill and haven't actually murdered someone. Sometimes people confess to crimes they didn't commit for fame. More than 500 people have confessed to the murder of Elizabeth Short, better known as the Black Dahlia, even though some of those people weren't even born yet when she died. John Mark Carr confessed to the murder of Jean-Benet Ramsey in 2006. He was extradited from Thailand to the U.S., but after an investigation, his details didn't match the crime. His DNA didn't match what was on file, and family members put him in another state at the time of the crime. It turned out that he was just obsessed with the case and wanted to be famous for being Jean Benet's killer. The investigator explains this a little bit when she talks to Cameron about why he called 911. 
What made you decide to call the police to call 911? It was, well, I mean, I didn't really have anything else to do, and I mean, I may as well, since it's, I mean, I was I was feeling down. For sure. You know, yeah. and I was tired, which yeah. made me feel more down. Right, yeah. And I called. Right. And how did you feel after you made the call? Well, I was crying for a long time. For sure, yeah. And then I felt better, but I mean... I still don't know if it's if it's if it's if it's fixed because, you know, like, I mean, we're discussing. I feel like we're still trying to figure out if I did it or not, and I don't understand. Like, 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 I, like I thought confessing would mean that I would be, you know, like that would be it. Yeah. Well, you know what? We we still need to understand. Um, what happened? You know, we need to understand what. Just because somebody tells us they did something, it doesn't mean it happens, right? So that's why when you told Montreal, there's a lot of people say things sometimes that aren't true. So that's why they needed to, you know, figure out and what to see, figure out what happened. The police in Montreal picked up Cameron and brought him to the police station. Once there, they notified the police in Ottawa, who sent officers to the Rogers' home. The officers found the bodies of Dave and Merrill hidden behind the shed in the backyard, just like Cameron had described. Their bodies were frozen solid. Cameron was booked into jail and was questioned by the investigator. Forensics officers spent five days in the home. They found evidence of Cameron's attempt to clean up, including blood-stained mop heads. They found both knives Cameron used to kill his parents and the broken stick in a plastic bag inside a black recycling bin in the garage. Cameron had not taken the recycling bin to the curb for pickup, so everything was still inside. Can you describe the knives to me? Well, one has a green handle, mm -hmm. and one has a black handle. Okay, which is the longer one? The black one. The black one. Okay, and how long is the blade? Well, it's like those, like... Ones that you use for cooking and, like, cutting. Okay. Sort of long and, like, yeah. a, like it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, a kitchen knife. How long is the blade, would you say? Like, like okay. that, I think. Okay, so you're going to it looks like that's about eight inches there, if I'm right. And right. what about the shorter one? Like... Like that? Okay, so maybe four inches or something. Cameron was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, which he pleaded not guilty to. His defense said that Cameron was willing to plead guilty to manslaughter, but the prosecutors rejected that offer. The fact that Cameron stabbed his parents to death and hid their bodies behind a shed is not in question. His court proceedings come down to intent. The defense argued that it was a spur-of-the-moment crime, but in Cameron's own confession, he talks about spending nearly an hour considering the murder and even went out to the garage to retrieve a weapon in preparation. He then actively let his mother lay on the floor and suffer for hours instead of calling for help. After Cameron's trial started, he told his lawyer, Joseph Adelman, that he had actually killed his parents because his father had sexually abused him. The allegation came after the prosecutor had finished presenting their case and the defense was just about to start presenting theirs. This caused the defense to call for a mistrial. 
They claimed that this new allegation means their whole defense up until that point should have been different and they couldn't go back and explain a different defense to the same jury. The judge allowed the court to adjourn so the prosecutor could have a psychiatrist evaluate Cameron. Due to the delay in the case causing undue hardship on a number of the jurors, the judge ended up dismissing the jury and started making a decision about whether to continue without a jury or to declare a mistrial and start a whole new trial. Then, Cameron admitted that he had made it all up. His father had never sexually abused him. It was a lie. In an effort to not start the trial over, the judge allowed Cameron to plead guilty to two counts of second-degree murder. After hearing 24 victim impact statements, Cameron Rogers was sentenced to 20 years in prison. I don't want to speak to how subjectively people feel after they've been close to this kind of violence. I mean, it, if I were asked whether Cameron is going to pose a risk 20 years from now, would I know of Cameron? I would say unlikely. I think that he's going to receive the benefit of uh, extensive rehabilitation uh, where he's going. And um, in, in my view, uh, he, I'm not afraid of Cameron. This plea was only, uh, this plea was only available to him uh, as of this week. And uh, he acted on the advice of counsel. Uh, it was our view that um, this was the best available outcome. Ultimately, the lie did help him out. He was on trial for two counts of first-degree murder, and the prosecution wasn't willing to accept a reduced charge. Now, since his lie brought the court to a screeching halt, the prosecution was willing to drop the charges to second-degree murder in the spirit of closing the case. And honestly, it didn't reduce his sentence by too much. If he had been convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, his maximum sentence would have been 25 years. I think he deserves life, let alone an extra five years. I love Canada, but sometimes their sentences seem a little light. That's just my opinion. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for watching this video. You can help us out by hitting the like button or leaving us a comment. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. 
For home heating you can depend on, see certaireland.ie. Let's have a look at today's lineup. There's a strong Dunn Stores influence from top to bottom, starting with selected boxes of bottled beer and cider like Heineken and Bulmers from just €18.72. Half price Pringles are a very welcome inclusion indeed. 10 or 50 grocery vouchers doing their bit at the till as usual. All that's left to do now is enjoy the football. Dunn Stores, always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of €50 Euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly.